Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 6. We're talking about Isaiah, and we're talking about what happened here in this situation. This is not some myth. This is the Word of God. And I don't believe it's something far-fetched in how what we're supposed to, supposed to experience anyway. But I believe we need an encounter with the Lord, and I say that on a regular basis. Because when we're changed and experience this glory, we're changed. We're not the same. And I want to talk to you this morning about God's calling on your life. Every person in this room is called of the Lord to do something. You are masterfully designed by God to fulfill that purpose. And there's a joy and contentment when you begin to step into that purpose and when that purpose is being fulfilled. But there's a sense of frustration in your life when you're not allowing that to happen. Maybe sometimes when you feel like, oh, I just can't get things right. And something's not right in my life. And I want you to go back to that place and saying, am I fulfilling the calling of God on my life? Because a lot of times our Western culture has pointed to the preacher. The preacher is to do everything. The preacher is to do this. This is not obviously in any way... Um, uh, taking away what my responsibilities and my calling is. But what I'm saying is, you're all called out here. And I can't do it all. And God never intended that. And so he's called you today. There is a call on your life. The question is, in our lives, will we yield to that call? Will we say yes to Jesus? And we're going to see here as an example of Isaiah. Let me give you a little bit of background here. Uh, we'll read... Um, Chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Uh, maybe um, anybody got it here, would like to read it? Yes, Rosemary, would you, would you stand, please, and read verse 1 through 8 of Isaiah chapter 6? And he said to go and tell the people. The context of here is about King Uzziah. King Uzziah ruled in, uh, in the land for 52 years. He started off as a good king. He started off as a righteous king. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, it summarizes his life like this. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, Isaiah had been mentored by King Uzziah. And he actually was a friend to uh, Isaiah and all. So here, this, these things were happening here. And, and, and you, uh, Isaiah was very close to King Uzziah. And what happened was King Uzziah became prideful and he went into the temple and he burned incense. And that was forbidden for the king to do that because that was taken on a priestly role. Only the priest could burn incense in the temple. And so as a result of his disobedience and his pride, because basically it was pride, is God struck him with leprosy. And he eventually died of leprosy. When a king died under these circumstances back at any time, you know, when a leader, a big leader dies, it sometimes causes like a, a real concern of what, what's going to happen with our country? What's going to happen with us at this time? Will our enemies come in and take over? And so there was great distress as a result of King Uzziah being struck with leprosy and then dying. And the other thing about this is the people knew that God had struck him with the leprosy. So they're like, what does this mean for us? We may be in trouble here. 
And so they were fearful. And so God wants to bring comfort to Isaiah, who was a, obviously a prophet during this particular time. And so he goes in there, and this is a, a supernatural revelation of what happened in Isaiah's life. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord on a throne. And here he's saying, all is well, Isaiah. The one who really is in charge is still on his throne. And so you have concern and you obviously are grieving because of the loss of King Uzziah who was disobedient to me and obviously I put leprosy on him and he eventually died and so forth. But you have reason for hope. And when he saw the Lord on his throne, he had obviously a revelation, a supernatural kind of scene through that, his, his, his eyes, a vision like of the Lord God Almighty sitting on his throne. Can you imagine that? Think about it for just a moment. <laughs> he saw God on his throne. Now, that'll change you when you have an encounter. And if you have been saved in this place today, one way or another, you've had an encounter with the Lord. You came to a place to where you realized that you were a sinner, you realized that you had obviously um, done what was wrong, and there was a conviction on your heart, and probably you had shame and maybe guilt, and maybe you uh, obviously you said, oh, I, it, it, can, I, can I go back and live life over again, and I won't do that again, and so forth. And yet you can't do that. And so somehow, maybe you were taught as a young person or maybe even older that you learned about this Jesus who came and gave his life to forgive you of your sins. And so you reached out by the conviction of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was, was convicting you in your heart and you reached out and you said, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner and I'm in need of forgiveness. Come into my life and forgive me and be my Lord and Savior. In other words, you encountered the Lord. You had some type of of revelation down in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world and that somehow you, you transferred that and by, by yielding your life to him, you accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior. You didn't just kind of come and go, well, that deistic God out here somewhere, I believe there is a God and he can be in anything. He's a tree or whatever else. You said, no, that's not right. I need a personal savior. And so one way or another, you encounter the Lord. And this is what happened with Isaiah at this time. He said he saw the Lord here, the Lord on a throne. And, and it was during a turbulent time that, that he saw him. And he recognized, and he said, he's high and lifted up. And the glory of his robe flows throughout the temple. It was, is a scene that's indescribable of the glory and majesty of God Almighty. And so there's real security here of Israel, and this is where it's found, in the fact that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is still on his throne. And sometimes you'll look, and I believe as we approach, and say, for example, and I don't know this, but, but say that maybe in one way or another as we approach this time, and I've talked about the, the tumult and the chaos and the anarchy and the lawlessness that's taking place in this country and around the world, it seems to be, 
Suppose in one way or another you encounter something that really is so hard and so difficult upon you. And you think maybe down, maybe you have a fleeting thought in, in one way or another that God has left you. He's sort of left you to your own devices, so to speak. But yet God comes back and says, no, I am still in control here. I'm still on my throne. Trust me. And this is what he was saying to Isaiah. King Uzziah was holding it, so to speak. God was holding it together. A lot of people had kind of leaned upon King Uzziah. And now he's out. What do we do? And so God has given comfort to Isaiah. And obviously he'll prophesy this way also to the nation that God is still on his throne. So no matter what's happened to your life, you know, we've experienced, and people in this congregation have experienced some rough things over the past year, just the past year. Don't need to go back any further. But you, God, I want to just encourage you today. God Almighty is still on his throne. He is still God. He's an omnip- One of his character nature is he's omnipotent, means he's all-powerful. He is still on his throne, and he revealed himself to Isaiah uh, in this particular manner here. And so the cry of heaven is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts here. And the Lord of hosts actually is referenced to the armies of heaven. He is the commander-in-chief of the armies of God. He is the Lord of hosts. He is surrounded by mighty angels that do his bidding. In other words, whenever you see that, the Lord of hosts, you mean he's a warring He's a warring God. That's that characteristic of him. Jesus came to begin with as the Lamb of God, and he'll come back as the Lion of Judah. He'll come back riding on his white horse, and imprinted on his thigh is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He'll come back in that manner. And that could be very, very soon. No, only God knows, but we need to be ready. We need to be look and encouraging one another as we see the day approaching today. Obviously, these uh, seraphim that we are talking about here were mighty angels, and they declared the glory and the majesty of God. And they were ablaze with holy fire. They worshiped God zealously as they cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And supernaturally, Isaiah has been looking into the temple of heaven where God dwells. He has a supernatural a vision of God Almighty. In other words, in his heart of hearts, he encountered the Lord. I love it. Even God gives revelation or the rhema word of God. It's a revelation in saying, the word of God is true. Isaiah was looking at God. He had a revelation. You see, so often in the church today, we have diminished who God is. We serve a supernatural God. He's not like us. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. But we've diminished his power in in our lives and and sometimes. And, you know, I heard somebody say recently that we need to reintroduce a supernatural God back into the church house again. We need to allow him to come in. We denied his power, and we need to invite him back in, a supernatural God. He is God Almighty, and we're not. And so often it's, it's that we want you know, to go through just to sort of like just kind of go along to get along and all. And you encounter a supernatural God, our God, Jehovah God. I want to tell you, you'll be changed just like Isaiah was here. And think about it. Supernaturally, he saw the Lord. And, and obviously, 
when you obviously encounter a supernatural God, it will birth worship. You want to worship the Lord? We need an encounter of the Lord, and that's why I stand up here Sunday after Sunday and say we need a supernatural God. We need an encounter with you, Lord, because what happens when you encounter the Lord, you'll worship like you've never worshiped before. You'll worship like never before, and we need that encounter with him. We need a glimpse of Jesus here. We need to see him. We need to hear him. We need to remember him. We need to, obviously, to, to encounter the Lord here. Isaiah encountered him, and he had a revelation of his love, his power, his grace, his glory, and he breaks forth in worship from the heart here. That's the comfort he gives. The other thing is the concern about his own condition. Listen to what he says. Woe is me. He encountered the Lord, and then he says, Woe is me, for I'm undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So unclean lips, obviously, will manifest unclean hearts in one way or another. By human standards, Isaiah was probably a very godly priest at this time. But the closer we get to God, think about it a minute, the more we see when I call them blemishes in our life, okay? The closer you get to God, the more he points out in your life and my life these things that he's saying, I don't want to put up with these anymore. Get rid of them. And you willingly, by his grace, you give it up. Let me give you an example. I go in a parking lot. I'm in Walmart, okay? And, you know, I, 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 I've done this before. So I can speak to it, okay? Don't tell anybody. I don't think anybody else is listening except for y'all. But I'd be sitting there, and I'd have my, uh, and it, the parking lot's full. And I put my blinker on because I see this car getting ready to back out of the parking space. And I go, aha, I got a parking space and all. And so I turn my blinker on. Y'all done that before. I know y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't look at me like I'm the only one that's ever done this. And I turn my blinker on, and that car backs out in such a way that I can't immediately scoot in there. And so while I'm waiting, somebody else comes along and scoots in there. Anybody ever had that done before? Let me ask you, and I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but what were your thoughts towards that person at that time? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Your thoughts weren't, they were not nice, okay? Now, the closer you are to God, you can take, make two choices because life is just full of choices, all it is, too. And life is full of choices. You, I, I, can, I can get mad and get hot behind the collar, you know? Or I can say, Lord, bless him, bless him, bless him. The, the difference is, and when God, obviously, when you go in and you come in and somebody cuts you off in traffic and, and you may be maybe even raise a fist or do something and so forth and all that stuff, immediately when you're close to God, he'll convict you to say, no, you don't do that. But if you're not close to God, that fist raise is real easy. When you're not close to God, that person pulling in that, in that parking space and all, you'll fume over that. You walk into Walmart and say, I had to walk in all the heat from all the way to the other side of the parking lot. 
You'll, you'll do that if you're not. But the closer you are, you see, I, Isaiah saw the Lord. He was close to the Lord. And he said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. In other words, he was a godly priest too. But he got real close to the Lord. And he revealed, oh my goodness, there's impurities, there's sin here that I didn't even realize was here. Somebody do something about it. And about that time, the seraphim took that coal with the tongs and, and took, and symbolic of the blood of Jesus there, and touched it to his lips and cleansed him. And he was, all, he was made clean there at that point. Took it from the altar, actually. The altar of sacrifice is symbolic here also. And that's what we do. You get close to the Lord. You watch God start pointing stuff out in your life, and you went, oh, my goodness. And he's not doing that to discourage you. The Bible says that we are to be holy because he's holy. And the only way that we can be holy like that, cooperate, we can't do it ourselves because we will become legalistic and we'll be following a bunch of rules and regulations. That's not what God's saying. He's saying cooperate with my spirit to get rid of these things in your life, my life, that are not pleasing unto me. And the closer you get, you begin to read the Word of God and come under conviction that, my goodness, I missed that and I need to confess before the Lord. And I've told you some of the sayings in the Bible are really hard. Don't turn away from those sayings. Allow the Spirit of God to work down deep in your heart, to change your heart. That's what He's after in my life and your life. Isaiah, obviously, he experienced this because the closer we get, in the manifest presence of the Lord, the more awareness we will have. You see, the real truth of the matter is, God's here right now. He's here. I welcome you, Lord. He's here. He's with us. And I've talked about the manifest presence of the Lord, and certainly that's important. But, but we need to be aware of the presence of the Lord. Sometimes I've talked to you about it, you know, and the other night I was sitting there and I was watching... Uh, well, I think it was live PD. I like live PD, but I watch live PD. It's the only thing I see on TV. Of course, it's kind of violent, so don't forget me, please. But watching that, and the Lord said, turn that stuff off and just sit with me a moment. And so I cut it off. I cut it off and sit with him and just sit with him. It's awareness of his presence. He's here right now. He's in this church house. He's here with us. He came with you to church. He'll go home with you at the church. But we need to be aware of his presence. We're never out of the presence of the Lord. Sometimes when you do something, you know it's not right, and you sort of like, oh, I hope nobody sees this, and all that. God sees it. The Bible says he hears every word from your mouth. He knows your motives. He knows your attitudes. He knows, obviously, what's on your heart, and he knows what you're going to do even before you do it. He's with us. He was aware. Isaiah was aware the Lord was there, and he says, woe is me, because I'm undone here. But also, he says after that, look at what he says in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? In other words, he realized that he was a sinner. He realized that he was forgiven. The coal was touched to his mouth. And then he said after that, here I am. God has given the invitation to you and to me today. He said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. That's what God is looking 
as far as a call on our lives. He's not saying here in any way that, you know, to get saved. It's not a call to get saved, although a call to get saved is always available. But this is not about a call to get saved. This is a call to get devoted, to, get, to give, make him Lord of your life, to do what he's called you to do. Church house needs to ra- just rise up and the power of the Spirit of God and do what he wants you to do. He's called you. And he's called me here. Obviously, it's not a, a, a call to attend church on Sunday, which is good. We need to have our faith. Or we need to be in church here. It's a call to lay your life on the altar and invest your time the way God wants it invested. The early church devoted themselves to the word and fellowship with one another and to breaking of bread and to prayer. You know, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but I believe God may be saying to somebody, you're living way below my intentions for your life. You're living way below my intentions for your life. That may be you. It may be that you're saying, I, I'm, I need to really get in on the purposes of God because he has a higher purpose for you. It's not just about existing and making a living and coming home, going to bed. It's about serving the Lord. It's about laying your life on the altar for Jesus Christ. He gave himself for you and for me. He says, what will you do for me? It's not a, not a call to work your salvation. That's by grace through faith in Jesus alone here. But I want to tell you, he's saying here today, I've got something much better for you than that. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, not just fishers of fish, fishers of men here. He said, follow me and your life will really count for something. You know, I was saved, I believe, possibly when I was eight years old and I got baptized. I was young when I did. I was convicted. I can remember riding home in a car that night after I gave my heart to Jesus. But I didn't walk. I wandered away from the Lord, and I got into a whole bunch of mess. Went away to college and all and did the partying scene and everything and, and, and did things I'm not proud of. But at 35 years old, God grabbed, me, grabbed a hold of me, and he changed me, and I, I, I went to an either and asked forgiveness for everything I had done and cleansed him, and he's forgiven me. And I gave my life to him. And, you know, at the time I've told my testimony, I was in manufacturing management. I have a business degree, business management degree in all manufacturing. I knew manufacturing. I knew people. I had uh, lots of people working for me at various times and all. I was making a lot of money. I was making bonuses and all and so forth and, and doing this and that and so forth. And God pulled me out of it and said, I want you to serve me. And I gave my heart and, and life to him totally. He changed paths for me. I don't have a big bank account right now. God has blessed me. Let me tell you, don't get me wrong what I'm saying or hear me wrong. God has blessed me. But I want to serve the Lord, and I don't care what it costs. And I look back over that, and I have no regrets. There are things, and there were challenges, too. They were tough. It's been tough. It hasn't been easy. But I look back over it. When I gave my life, and I, I said, Lord, you've got a call upon my life. I said, I give you my life. I don't care what it takes. And I want to tell you, my salary went from way up here down to nearly nothing. That was it. But God has never failed me. He's always provided for me and Cindy, both of us, and taken care of us. But the question today is, is not that, that he's looking for. And again, I believe that in, in Matthew 28 where he says, go and make disciples. 
I believe that he's not saying necessarily go and make converts. He's saying go and make disciples. People that when I call you, you'll say, follow me. Remember the different ones he called the disciples? And he said, let me go home and, and, and take care of my family and let me do this and that. And he said, that can be taken care of. They'll take care of themselves. God will take care of them, basically. He said, follow me. But see, what our excuse is, he goes, let me go home, let me take care of this, let me do this, and let me do that. And before long, you've slipped away from the highest purpose of God in your life. You've let the calling of God on your life slip through your fingers, so to speak. Because I want to tell you, in Luke chapter 14, it talks about that. You know, it was a big banquet. The man gave a big banquet. And he said, go out and invite these and that. And remember, they said, uh, we're too busy. We just, we just bought a, an oxen. Remember, and I got to take care of the oxen. And remember, the other one said, you know, I, I just got married. And I got to take care of my wife, my precious wife, and so forth and all that. And they made every excuse in the world to somehow say, I, I'm not going to come into the banquet that you have prepared for us. And that actually banquet is symbolic in Luke chapter 14 of salvation. And there are many people in this immediate community that have said, no, I can't go on. Because you know what one of the major excuses are? That they say they can't come to church on Sunday to hear the word of God? Is they say, well, I only forgot the weekend and I like that time to myself. And they've made every excuse in the world not to serve God, not to give their hearts to Jesus. And many of them are not saved. There's only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus, and giving your heart to him. But many are saying, I, I, you know, I, I don't like, first of all, I don't like preacher. He talks about money all the time anyway. You've heard that before. I don't talk about money. You're not convicted to go and tithe. You're not convicted to do that and to give to the church and so forth. I'm not going to berate you or judge you. That's between you and the Lord. I don't have to beat you. A lot of times they do that, building projects and so forth. That's their conviction, then do it. But that's not my conviction. I don't, I don't stray from teaching about tithing. Don't get me wrong. But I don't have to come in here to tell you to do this and that. God's conviction, His Spirit will convict you to be able to support these things, ministries that you feel like you're called to support. Every excuse in the world. Isn't it true? Why the church house is not full today. They make every excuse. Oh, I need this time. The weekend's the only time I have for myself. Weekend's only, and I really don't. And you see, they'll stand before God Almighty. Hopefully, they'll be saved somehow. God will save them by His grace. But they may not be. And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you, workers of iniquity. Because a lot of people believe they're going to get saved, go into heaven by their good works. You cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot work your way into that. You can't do enough. He's too holy, he's too good. Anyway, Jesus paid the price. We would somehow be denigrating the blood of Jesus Christ, and we cannot do that. You have to accept what God has done, and he's got it perfectly right. And between now and the time that he returns, I want to tell you, and then beyond that time, you'll see that he's doing it perfectly the way he's planned. He's a perfect God, and he's just. And justice will be served. I want to tell you today, there may be a call upon your life out there today. But you got to make a choice. And you know one thing about the Lord is, is he never tells you what assignment you will have before you yield to his call. He doesn't say, look, I want you to go do this. 
and then you go, oh, okay, I'll, I'll give my life to do it. He never does that, does he? He just says, follow me. And you see there are rewards today in following the Lord, but there are also losses. There are stark challenges. I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Life is tough, but there are rewards, there are blessings one day. You see, my reward and your reward is not here on this earth. It's only temporary. I have buried a lot of people in hospice and, and doing services, hundreds over the years. I've never seen, I've seen rabbits put on people laying in a coffin. I've seen letters put on the people there that they've written and, and all. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a part of the grief process. And I've seen all these things happening. But let me tell you, that person's gone. They can't take it with them. But I've never seen a bundle of money put in the coffin. Well, I made that money. I was, I'm a self-made man. Put that money in my coffin so I can take it to heaven. No, you're not. Right? What you do for the Lord on this earth, the way you live your life, you know, relationship with Jesus Christ is the only thing you're taking to heaven. That's it. The choice we make is, obviously, we say no, and no way, obviously, I need to know what you're going to, obviously, uh, the, the, let me count the cost here and see what you're going to do with me before I surrender my life to you. He never works like that. You remember the story? And I'm not, this is not, said in a boastful way, but I'll never forget it because we experienced it, and I've shared it a million times. When I was first felt called to go into ministry, I remember, you know, y'all have heard the story, and forgive me if you, I'll say it over again, but I remember on my heart, it was like the Lord was saying, I'm going to send you to Australia. And I said, Australia? And it scared me to death because I knew it was God impressing. It kept coming up out of the clear blue. Australia? Oh, my goodness, what will Cindy think? I didn't tell her that because I was like, don't let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> Cindy came to me one day. I never said anything to her. She goes, I don't know what's going on here, but the Lord may be getting, preparing us to send us to Australia. And I looked at her and almost fell out. I said, I got to leave my, my, all these thoughts, leaving family, leaving country, leaving all these things and so forth. And, and I mean, when she said that, she goes, we need to pray about it. And I said, we sure do. She was real serious about it. I, I got real serious when she was serious about it because she had no way of knowing. I knew it was God when she said, God's been speaking to me. I said, okay. And so we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And over a period of time, God changed my heart to where I knew that if it was him, that I, we were going to Australia to be some type of minister there. And the same way with Cindy. Cindy said, basically, after some time, some weeks, and she said, I'm ready to go. I said, so am I. And after we both came to that place of yielding our hearts to him, the burden left. We didn't go, obviously. I'm saying today, God wants all of you. He doesn't want just part. He doesn't want just to kind of come along to kind of, you know, again, to play church. He wants all of his people. And the call is upon your life because you have gifts that I don't have. Maybe I have gifts that you don't have, but I want to tell you, you got gifts. You got callings on your life that I don't have. And my, my goal has been in, in the last years of ministry, and especially the last two and a half years, is to teach God's people how to hear God's voice, how to discern God, because I believe that 
that spiritual discernment in the last days will be crucial because of the deception that's coming upon people's lives. And I believe that deception is already coming up. Turn, just watch. I'm not saying, and, and saying, you know, again, to watch a whole lot of TV, but you listen to them. And they're basically saying what, what really is right, it's wrong, and what's really wrong is right. And that's exactly what the Bible says and it will happen in the last days. It's all getting topsy-turvy. It's not any. We've got to be discerners of truth. We've got to know the truth because the truth is what will stand all the things that we go through during these times of, of crucial uh, challenges. Okay, I'll close with this. Yes, Lord, thank you. I'm going to suggest this to you. I do not know this, so I'm asking the Lord to um, take it away if, if it's not. I heard somebody say here this past week, a pastor, and he was flying from Los Angeles to Houston, and um, he said the minute he put his foot on the ground at the Intercontinental is that he heard the Lord speak to him and say, I'm going to judge Houston. And this was before Harvey, right before Harvey. He said, I'm going to judge Houston. And he didn't hear any reason. He said, I think he said, what, what's going on? Can you tell, will you tell me more, Lord? And he didn't hear any more. Except he went to a, a friend. And the friend said, he said, do you realize that, that Houston, Texas is probably, uh, if not, the, the abortion capital of the United States? right up here on the Gulf Freeway. A lot of it's done. And I was listening to a lady that said that back in the 70s, that if you were in other parts of the country and you couldn't get an abortion, is that you knew you could come to Houston and get the abortion. You remember what happened in the book of Genesis where, you know, Cain uh, murdered Abel? And remember, God says, where's your brother? And Cain said, well, I'm not my brother's keeper, and so forth. He goes, yeah, your brother's blood is crying out from the ground. I believe the baby's blood that had been shed in Houston as well as across this country is crying out from the ground. God has a judge because he's just, Remember? And you go, well, I'm a Christian. How come I was affected? I, flo I was flooded, and people here flooded. How long? And it rains on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. In other words, during judgment, there will be believers who also be affected by it. Now, we're protected, and God will take care of us. But I believe there will be consequences to what this nation, if they don't repent, this man said this. He said he believed that we had the next few years to repent. Man, we can repent like in the book of Daniel. Daniel said, me and my father's house have sinned against you. Nehemiah said the same thing. He included himself in it, although he, he was one of the more righteous people at that time. He included himself. In other words, we can pray and say, Lord, I repent on behalf of here, of, of what's happened in this, in this city and beyond as far as as the murder of children in their mother's womb. I repent and turn away. You can do that and stand in the gap. 
the eyes of the Lord look to and fro for that one person who will stand in the gap so he will not have to pour out his wrath because if not, then he pours out his wrath. And this pastor suggested this. He said, he suggested that you pray for President Trump for divine wisdom. That you pray for our legislators, our Senate, and our, our House from the local level right up to the federal level. Pray for them on a regular basis, please. And the last thing is, as he said, that I just asked the Lord to cleanse the White House, to cleanse the Capitol Hill, and to cleanse the Supreme Court. If you remember when the Supreme Court said that uh, same-sex marriage was allowed and, and lawful. You remember what happened with the lights at the White House? You remember? The rainbow colors and symbolic of the fact is we're celebrating the fact that the Supreme Court has now ruled that man can marry man, woman can marry woman, and who knows where, only God knows where that will lead. And if you and I don't repent on behalf of those, maybe we, we obviously are not. I'm not saying God is against the homosexual. He is against the sin of the homosexual. And unless you and I take a stand here in the church house in a way that obviously, not in a way that is going to be obnoxious or any of that, but on our knees praying for this country. Because I want to tell you today, it's not a, a fear of being afraid, but it's a holy fear of what's going to happen. Because right now, what you see happening could be, could be, don't know, don't quote me. But there's burning, there is devastation that's pretty rampant all over the world. Could it be, could it be, that God is trying to get our attention to wake up. Paul says, Romans chapter 13, 14, he says, I've come, wake up, wake up and pray because our prayers can stand in the gap for those people who are lost, who've made an excuse not to come to the banquet and they're saying no and their hearts can be turned by your prayers and our prayers. In Luke chapter 18, it talks about the rich young ruler. Remember what happened? And the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, what can I do to be saved? And remember what Jesus said? He said, go and sell everything. Go get rid of it. In other words, what was happening is Jesus saw his heart. He's not going to do it. Now, God won't ask you. You know, God may not ask you. He may ask you to give it all up. Let me tell you today. He may tell you to give up the things you've got. But he has a higher purpose if he does. But he may not do that. But when you follow him, you're in his hands. You're his responsibility. Obviously, I want to just share here, and, and this will be Mark chapter 8. Um, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 8. Look at this. I want you to see it. Mark chapter 8. And we're going to play a song in just a minute. Jennifer cued it up in just a moment before we close. 
And I'll close with this. And this is Mark chapter 8, and it's going to be uh, verse 12. No, 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. And he warned them, take heed, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it's because we have no bread. And being aware of what they were, they knew, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus said to them, why do you reason that you have no bread? Do you still not perceive or understand? Are your hearts still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And then they said to him, 12. And the seven among the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you collect? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? You know, what God is doing is, is getting our spiritual eyesight and our, our spiritual hearing tuned up. They started, they, got, they had just seen Jesus feed the 5,000 with the loaves and the fishes. And then they had seen him feed the 4,000 with very little also. And they picked up all these baskets full. They just witnessed that. They just seen miracles like crazy. And so he says, go over to the other side and they go, well, or, you know, get ready to feed them. And he goes, we've only got one loaf here. But where are we going to get the rest of the stuff? They just seen Jesus multiply it. And he says, do you still not see and do you still not hear? Are your hearts so hardened that you don't know that you serve the God of the impossible? Do you know who I am? And that's the way we are many times. But I want to tell you a good way in this scripture that you can start that I believe is so important. Because many of you in here are having situations, I'm sure, or maybe some of you, that are, that are, it seems like it's impossible. It seems like maybe it doesn't look any way like you're going to make it through it. And you're starting to reason here, you know. Oh, this is happening and that's happening. And Jesus said this, basically. Don't begin by reasoning by, with what, what you don't have. And don't we do that? We, we get all, we get afraid because, you know, many of the things that we're so fearful of, they never come to pass anyway. But we're scared to death. And Jesus told us, do not fear. And we begin to reason like, how am I going to pay this bill? How am I, gonna, I don't have the money for it. We start reasoning from a place of where we have none. And Jesus said, don't start there. He said, remember, do you not remember? How many in here today can remember how God brought you through something that you didn't think you would ever make it through, right? Can you remember it? We can do that, right? He's brought me through it. I want to tell you, he saved, he, he healed my body, touched my mind. He saved me just in time. And he brought me through it. He's brought me through one thing after the other. Remember what he's done. And what that will do is that will transfer to your hearing and to your seeing. And you begin to think different. The most important thing I believe for the church to have today, every believer, is to realize the manifest presence of the mind of Christ 
to think the way God thinks, to see the way God th sees, and to respond the way God responds. Okay? Obviously, they had learned nothing from the feeding of the 5,000 or the 4,000. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you remember? Go back. To something you saw God do, he'll do it again. He'll do it again. <clears throat> Moses, we'll close with this, and then we'll hear the song. Promises of God. You remember what happened? Moses said, who do I tell the people is sending me? In Exodus, I believe it's chapter 33, he said, uh, tell them that I am. Remember? Tell them I am. That's all they, they needed to know. And then Moses said, basically, he says, um, who am I? Because, see, you answered that question. You know, I'm talking a lot about commitment here today. And, and you're asking, that, who am I? You're gifted. You're a child of the king. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, and I do too. Moses said, who am I? God, all he said was, I'll be with you. That's what he's telling us today, too. That's all he's saying. Boom, I'll be with you. Now, as children of God, when God's with you, all things are possible. Because we serve the God of the impossibilities. We serve a God who will fulfill his promises, and he will do it again. The Lord has never failed us. And if you're hanging on to a promise today that God has given you, his promise still stands that he will not fail us. In all the hard times and all the, the down and outs that we've experienced, our God rules and reigns. And he will not, he will not fail you. His promise, I've seen him move the mountains, and y'all have too. And it seems like you've spoke to that mountain, and, and somehow the mountain continues to be unremoved and all. But remember one thing, great is his faithfulness. He will fulfill his promise. And the one thing you can cling to today is the fact that his word is true. And who he is in our life, my life and your life, when Moses said, well, who am I? And all he said was, I'll be with you. And he is with you and he's with me. He's with us in this ministry of this church here today. Without him, I am nothing. I, I can get up and say something, but it has to be the spirit working for anything to change in your heart and my heart. But I know he's, gonna, he's never going to fail us. And I know he loves us so much with a love that we can never, ever imagine. And obviously, he'll reveal himself in his way, his time. I want to just say, don't give up. Keep believing. I believe that you'll do it again. Because all the things, even the circumstances that you've faced in life over the past year or, or, or even beyond, it didn't turn out the way you thought it would. But we'll go back to what we know foundationally that is great 
is God's faithfulness to you and to me. Let's pray and we'll close. Father, thank you for your truth, your word. Thank you even in this, uh, in this song, the truth about great is your faithfulness. That you'll do it again. You've promised. But Lord, you're looking for people who will make a decision to walk in the calling that you have called each and every one of us. Maybe today is a decision to be made in the hearts of the people in this church today. And maybe it'll be just a recommitment, just to say, I, I've surrendered my, my to, I, I want to know, because you're not done with me yet, because I know that. And I make the choice today to step into the fullness of God and to walk in His calling upon my life. And so, Lord, I pray in this that you would reveal yourself to the hearts of people in here. We're not just talking about a, a, a sermon. We're talking about experiencing the presence of the Lord. Reveal yourself, oh God, in a special, personal way. And we truly will exalt you because when we have that experience, we know that worship will spring forth and we want to be worshipers of God. Bless us. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. Thank you.